0: I want to read to you a few quotes here that um, I got off the internet, just went on some different sites. Uh, Three different quotes here by three different gentlemen. The first quote reads this way Scripture cautions us not to be harsh and judgmental of other faults, even where they are evident, because neither are we perfect and free from error. The admonition not to regard the speck in your neighbor's eye before removing the law from your own eye finds parallels in many scriptures. Rather than justifying ourselves and blaming others, we should look into ourselves for having such feelings of resentment. We should look into ourselves for where we may have been at fault, and from that starting point we can sincerely strive for reconciliation. The second quote reads this way, Jesus said, Judge not, lest ye be judged. For with what measure ye meet, so shall it be measured unto you. Judge not, do not judge. Yet the self-righteous don't stop with judging, but go ahead and issue sentence, saying, Because you commit this sin, I have judged you, you are to burn in hell. We can refer back to Jesus' instruction in a nutshell and say, Does this action show love to my neighbor or not? The third quote, as Christians of all stripes, we must let them know the real, powerful love of God. They must be able to feel it in the deepest parts of their souls. They must be able to hear it in every word we speak and to see it in everything we do. It must spring to their mind every time they think about us. We must be so closely associated with love that they cannot tell where we leave off. And Christ begins. A wonderful exegesis on the loving Christian or Christ-like spirit. I think not. These three quotes, the first one comes from the Unification Church's website, which is of Mooney fame. That's Reverend Sun Moon. The second quote comes from a man named Roger Stratton, who is a sodomite, a Christian sodomite. The third, Stephen Pearson, also claims to be a Christian, but he practices bisexuality and promotes it all over his Christian website. You know, I would think that we should be very troubled when the world, religion, and the grossest perverts, they can mimic and quote our doctrine on Judge Not there's got to be something wrong do you hear me what men highly esteem the Bible said God calls it an abomination I'm going to teach tonight on judging and name-calling and I realize this is a controversial subject but I want to go on the Word of God and I believe that much of the church world doesn't understand this and has allowed the enemy to come in and leaven and remove some of the salt that God intended to be in the church Reading out of Amos 5 and 10. Amos 5 and 10. You know, did that sound familiar to to you? That sound familiar? I've heard that from preachers right there. I've heard it from people all throughout the church that speak in tongues. I would be very troubled if I was quoting the same things that sodomites were quoting about the scriptures. Amos 5 and 10. They hate him that rebuketh in the gate. Now in the Bible here it refers to the gate uh, You know in ancient times when they built a city They always built a wall around that city And they had one gate The wall was built obviously for defense And they had this main gate most of the time Where that was the only entrance into the city and out of the city So if there was a message to be given to all the city The messenger would stand in the gate Amen And so the prophets often stood in the gate And proclaim the truth of God. And here in Amos, it is said that the people hate Him. Amen. That rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor Him that speaketh uprightly. You know, it's the same today. If you will rebuke in the gate, and if you will speak uprightly, then you will be hated and despised. Amen. We're going to look at this subject tonight, and I just want to go through the Scriptures methodically. Really, uh, this won't be exhaustive. I have another whole message on this that deals just with Matthew chapter 7 uh, and just expounds on that verse by verse. We will touch on that, but uh, just trying to take a broad view from Genesis, Genesis to Revelation about this subject and hopefully answer some of your questions if there are questions. But, you know, I would say the most frequent criticism That I've received as a Christian, particularly as I've gone to practice biblical evangelism, is this accusation that I ought not to be judging people. That comes from a lot of unbelievers, but just as many, quote unquote, believers. Amen. They say all the time, Jesus would not have us to judge. And, uh, you know, I can remember in Atlanta, we're walking down the street and just, you know, with our banners and with our signs, we're there preaching at the SEC championship game. And without saying anything, people were telling us, judge not, thou shall not judge, you know, as if it was part of the Ten Commandments or something. You know, every sinner knows this verse. Or it appears that every sinner knows this verse, and it is the most misused, misapplied, misinterpreted scripture in the Bible. It is perhaps the most popular scripture verse among demons, Matthew chapter 7 and 1, not because there's anything wrong with the scripture, but it's been perverted and twisted and used and misapplied in the wrong way. We read in Matthew 7, 1 through 2, Judge not, that ye be not judged, for what, for with what judgment ye judge? Ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. That is true, amen? But don't anyone suppose for one moment that you have the right to judge outside of the Word of God. That's what the whole... You read through the Scriptures, and really the warnings of judgment are to keep us in the Word of God and aligned with God's Word. If I step into myself, then the judgment will be wrong. But I cannot judge less. Or more than what God would judge. I can't have more mercy on something than God would have. Neither should I have less mercy than God would have. I'm to represent the Lord Jesus Christ and I am to faithfully communicate his mind. I want you to remember that. That's your obligation as a Christian. You are to faithfully represent, you are to faithfully communicate the mind of God. And let me tell you something. If you, if you really, if you really follow the Scriptures, it's impossible for you not to judge because the Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And if you speak the Word of God, the Word of God is going to judge somebody. You can't escape that except for one way not tell the truth. And that's what this is about. Amen. We consistently hear that the Bible says not to judge and that it's unchristlike to call people names. After all, they say Jesus. Never called people names. Amen. Now, you know, when folks say things like this, they're either ignorant or they're rebellious or they're both because they've really never noticed what the Bible has to say about that. I can remember when I got born again and really began reading through the New Testament. I was raised in church all my life. I, I went to church every Sunday. Every service in that church, I was there until I was 18 years old and left home. I heard the Bible preached thousands of times, but I can remember when I got born again and really opened the book with this attitude of heart. I want to see really what Jesus communicates here. And I was, I was shocked at the Jesus that I met in the pages of the Bible because He was altogether different than the impression that I received as a young lad sitting on a church pew. Amen? Uh, you know, I can remember when I first... Went out on the street. I was born again maybe a month or two. And I met somebody that uh, preached on the street. I believe I've told you this story. I went once alone and didn't tell anybody anything and was very discouraged over that. But shortly thereafter, I met somebody that went regularly on the street and they invited me to go. It was just the providence of God, just God's sovereignty, because I knew I needed to go. And so I met somebody and they brought me and I was very encouraged. And uh, for a couple of weeks, I went with them. But I remember I didn't say anything to them, but inwardly I can remember, you know, meditating on what they were doing and what they were saying. And I thought, you know, these folks, they've they been doing this for a while. They've become a little callous. And, you know, I just got born again. and, And I believe that I can reach these people on this street a lot better than they can. Now, mind you, I didn't say that to anybody. But inwardly, those were the thoughts. That, you know, went over my mind. That I, I, I was more loving. That they were harsh and severe. And you know, of course, I didn't really analyze things. Uh, righteously, because I never loved those people enough to go out there and tell them anything. And, uh, you know, I went with these folks and kind of hid behind their coattails while they told people about Jesus and gained a little boldness after a few weeks. And now I've decided inwardly, per- perhaps even unconsciously, that, uh, that I could do this a whole lot better. And I remember I began to go by myself. But, you know, it wasn't long before I faced the problems and I faced the dealings of the Holy Ghost and I began to fast and I begin to pray, and I begin to go to the Word of God. And I found out that I was altogether wrong. Amen? That I was really proud and ignorant and arrogant, really. To think that I knew how to do something that I had never done before in my life. And that's exactly what you have in the church today. People that never lift a finger to preach the gospel, but they think they have it all figured out. Well, let me tell you something. You can't rebuke me unless God gave you truth. Amen? You don't rebuke error unless God gave you light. And if God gave you light amen, then you're accountable to obey that light. That's what I tell men all the time. If you come out here and tell me how to do it and you don't do it yourself, then you're worse than I am for at least I'm trying to do what I know to do, amen? And that, that's what we've got to see about this, that lots of people believe they know how to handle sinners, but they never confront them. There's something wrong, Amen. But you know, this one issue alone is indicative of the utter lack of solid, solid Bible teaching in today's church. The enemy who hates the light in attempt to weaken the church has sought to remove our obligation to judge righteous judgment. They've intimidated us. They try to intimidate you on the street. They try to intimidate you in the church. Rodney Howard Brown, stand behind a pulpit. When you go to his meetings and say, if you're a Pharisee, and you try to judge this. You've got a wrong spirit. You've got a critical spirit. And it's all uh, aimed or calculated to intimidate you not to judge between what's profane and what's holy. It's the same thing out there in that world. You know, if that's the number one thing that the sinners are crying, you know what I say? That's the number one thing we ought to be doing. That's the number one thing they need is judgment. And that's the thing that that devil inside of them is telling you and I not to do. And that's the very thing that they need the most. Amen. Because it's light. And light exposes and light reveals. And if there's no light, then nobody knows where they're going. There's got to be an exposure. By doing so, Satan has in many cases silenced the church from sounding the clarion call for sinners to repent. Repent. Salt is good, said Jesus, but if the salt have lost his savor. Wherewith shall it be salted? I want you to know here tonight, we cannot accurately proclaim or preach the gospel apart from denouncing sin and living free from it. And I can tell you if the church would just get in the highways and the byways and preach the gospel, they would find out their flimsy theology wouldn't hold up to the flame of sin and the accusation of the devil. It'd be exposed because the moment you go out there and say, well, you know, I'm just a forgive Sinner, they're going to say you just like I am. Amen. I look at naked women, but you got your sin. You can't tell me a thing, and that's the end of the conversation, Mister. Unless it's different. Jesus says your righteousness had better exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees or you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of God. I can tell you we better have more than religion. We better be holier than they are or this gospel is a lie. It delivers us from sin and we ought to be able to stand toe to toe with that world and say Jesus has set me free from the power of iniquity. And if we cannot say that, then we do not have moral power or leverage to proclaim the word of God. You're going to see that. Amen. You've got to live free. You've got to denounce it. Amen. It's softened Christianity to the point of being unable to proclaim the truth of God's law and God's mind. You know, Proverbs 28, 4 through 5 says, They that forsake the law praise the wicked. Oh, what a wonderful truth. They that forsake the law. Oh, the law is so hated in this hour. You hear, listen to me, the law can't save. The law can't deliver you. But the law does have a purpose. Jesus never spoke derogatorily about the law. Neither did anyone else. In fact, Romans 7, that's a vindication. Of the law. That's a vindication of the law. It cannot save. Amen. And when the New Testament Christians try to look to that to be justified, they told them they were wrong and they were in error. But they never spoke derogatorily about the law. Oh, but this church age that we live in, it has forsaken the law. And you know what happens? They begin to praise the wicked. But such as keep the law, contend with them. You know what contend means? It means to fight. Oh, you're out there arguing and bickering with those sinners. i tell you what the Bible says, such as keep the law are going to contend in the way. Let me tell you something about disputing. The Bible says the Apostle Paul went into the market, went into the synagogue and disputed daily with them. You know, that admonition against debating, amen, listen to me, that's not against the person that's standing for God. The Bible says I'm to contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. I'm not debating. It's that sinner and That hypocrite that's trying to undermine the Word of God that's debating. It's not a man proclaiming truth. Amen. I'll stand all day and preach the Gospel to someone and reason with them. Amen. Over righteousness. I'm not debating if I'm speaking the truth. It's them that are debating if they're trying to resist the Word of God. And I'm not saying there's not times when enough is enough and you walk away. I'm not saying that. But it's never debating if you're speaking the truth. Amen. If you're speaking the truth. They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. Oh, it behooves us to understand this. Amen. Because I believe it's a carnal mind that doesn't recognize and understand the judgment of God. Amen. You know, this whole idea, this concept of judge not has emasculated those who would be a bright and a shining light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You know, I could ask Leon to stand up right now and I could ask him, I say, Brother, what was the number one accusation against you in that prison when you went back to that pod and you began to quote the Bible? What was it? Leon, judge not. Is that right? Everywhere, judge not. Don't judge. You're judging me. Listen to me. Why, why, why is there such a vehement resistance against, against that? And why is the world so quick to quote that? They quote it because the devil doesn't want there to be any light. It's going to expose the works of darkness. But you know, when you have been conditioned to listen to what that sinner says, and if that sinner is upset, and that sinner is angry, then we must be doing something wrong. And I'm here to tell you by the Holy Ghost, thus saith the Lord, that the church in this hour has been conditioned by the pulpit to believe that way. And it's error. And that's what it's all about. It's pragmatism. Because I guarantee you, If we go to LSU and preach the gospel, and they fall out on the ground weeping and crying, nobody is going to find fault with us. They're going to say, that's good. In fact, next week they'll all do what we do to get them to join their church. If you go out here to Illusions Club, amen, and everybody in Baton Rouge and everybody in Jackson came down to observe, and they walked out the door and fell in the gravel, weeping and crying, everybody would say, now that's God. Why? Because they're only looking at the results Instead of judging it by the Word of God. I don't care whether it works or not. I don't care if I get crucified. Is it right? Is it Jesus? I promise you, people that find fault with it, they're reacting because the sinners are reacting. And they are conditioned to be men pleasers, And so they're booed by the reaction of the wicked. They don't expect to be hated. And you say, Brother Rich, you preach that all the time. But as soon as you believe it, I'm going to quit preaching it. Or pardon me, I'm going to preach it less. (laughs) I'm not going to quit preaching the truth. That's why I preach it so much. Because people don't believe it. They do not believe the Word of God. They have forgotten that Jesus was murdered. You say, well, Brother Britt, just because people are hated doesn't make them right. I know that. But I can tell you what. When someone hates me, I'm closer to the biblical model when then they don't. And you see, listen to me. why imme- people immediately find fault when uh, there's accusation, when there's uh, trouble, when there's persecution, when there's anger, they always immediately uh, intuitively believe, well, how could be- this be Jesus? Because they have a, a wrong view of what Jesus did. They forget that he was murdered. He was murdered. And though people might say it wasn't because of what he said, John 7 and 7 said, The world hateth me because I testify that the works thereof are evil. That's why they killed him. That's what Jesus said. Peter came down and never said, I'm letting my light shine. I'm just letting my light shine. You think anybody had a brighter life than Jesus? Well, then why didn't he just not say anything? Is there a brighter life than the Lord Jesus Christ? Well then he should have just came and not said anything to anybody. But it seems to me that he was always saying something everywhere he went because he was a preacher. And how should it hear without a preacher? And he is the model, amen. He is the model. You know, and I've had even people say, you know, you you are provoking these sinners to commit sins. If you wouldn't do this, Amen, they wouldn't act the way they're acting. Listen to me. That's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous accusation. And the Bible says, He that condemneth the just, and he that justifieth the wicked, both are an abomination unto the Lord. Amen. I can't make them sinners sin. Listen to me. They're sinning because that's what they are No excuse for that. That's siding with the wicked. But people say it all the time and they believe it. And if you took most of the conservative Pentecostal church in the streets and they saw the way sinners react, they have been conditioned to believe that. They have been conditioned to believe that. And listen to me, the ripple effect and and the repercussions of that in the pulpit and in the church are profound because it affects all of our theology. When we begin to believe that sinners are just misinformed, they're not God-haters. You see, this is, we don't really believe that people have a sin nature. Because of sin nature, we are children by nature. Children of wrath by nature. That means that nature is opposed to God. And people have a nature that is opposed to God. They're wrong. Do you understand? Every sinner is wrong. wrong. That doesn't mean we don't need to pity them. I was a sinner. You were a sinner. That doesn't mean we don't want them to be saved. But the first thing we have to agree is they are accountable and responsible. You don't go out here. and They have a you know serial murder that runs through Woodville, killing people, raping people, cutting people's throat, molesting children, cannibalizing people, and go out there and you know running down on Highway 61 and stop him and lean over and say, you know, can I give you a candy cane and talk to you? And I believe if we'll just, would you just come back with me up to the county uh, courthouse and we'll just sit down and discuss this? I believe if you just understood exactly what was going on, that you know that we could reason this out together. No, he's a criminal. They don't treat him like that. Amen. He is—he has broken the law. They come with sirens, a lot of noise. Amen. They come to apprehend him. And listen to me, on the day of judgment, it's not going to be a candy cane and a little party and a little cool breeze that blows through. They're going to stand before the God of glory. They're going to stand before the judge of the universe. And it's going to be an awful atmosphere. It's going to be terrible, friend, and I don't want a sinner looking across the crowd, looking for me. When you preach the gospel to me, I didn't think it was going to be like that. I didn't think it. Was. I'm going to tell you what. I promise you, on the day of judgment. They're not going to be asking someone, you know, you were just a little too radical talking to me. You were a little too emotional talking to me. No, they're going to be looking for someone to say, why did you sink me to the core of my being? Why did you explain to me and reveal to me the awfulness, the dreadful situation that I faced? Oh, to God, that we would give sinners an accurate representation of what they faced. It's a man that sees that knows that. It's a man that's blind that doesn't. It's a man that's blind that doesn't. These folks are criminals against God. I can tell you the way the Holy Ghost dealt with me. I felt like I was going to drop off into hell at any moment. The Holy Ghost didn't come to me with sweet nothings. I knew that I could be forgiven. I knew I could be cleansed. I knew that. But I knew that I was in a lot of trouble. I was in a lot, a lot of trouble. Terrible, awful trouble with God. And He wouldn't please with me. Amen. And He was going to judge me if I didn't bow the knee. It was a matter of justice. It was a matter that I was a rebel. He commanded me. Now, does the Bible say that God commands everyone to repent? That's the impression that I got when the Holy Ghost dealt with me. That God wouldn't ruin begging me to come join church. and I'm going to make it all alright. wasn't well, nothing like that. It was like, you are a rebel. And I command you to follow my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way it was communicated. And that is the truth got to be preached that way. And you're not going to preach that without judging somebody. Amen. It's just so softened and emasculated Christianity. Christianity in this hour is effeminate because they've allowed the devil to come and cut the word of God out of them. It's an effeminate spirit. That is afraid, that is trembling and passion in its delivery of the word of God. Ephesians five and thirteen says, "But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light." Amen. We've got to reprove sin. How can you reprove sinners without judging? Reproof is to correct. To correct is to say, "Somebody, there, wrong. You're wrong. You're in it." Sin You're judging me That's the first thing I'm going to tell you When you reprove them You can't judge me Yes, I can judge you By the word of God By the word of God The church has become intimidated by the opinions of the world as they accuse us of religious bigotry, hate-mongering, and intolerance. Does that sound familiar? That's what the world is even saying. And now it's in the church. Amen. At the root, like I said, is pragmatism. You know, and people think, would Jesus do that? He got murdered. Every time you ask, that's the answer. They killed him. Why do you people... They, yeah, they did that because He was, you know, the Son of God who was prophesied. Well, it's prophesied that they'd kill you. It's prophesied that you'd be hated. It's prophesied that you'd be put in jail. That you'd be persecuted. So, let's see that come to pass. Amen. The, the, the reason they did it is because He upset people. He upset people because He told them the truth. And if you tell somebody the truth, they're not going to like it. I can remember i have been going on the street for a couple of months and people kept accusing me of judging them. And I got troubled by it because I wasn't grounded and rooted in Jesus. And I remember I went to the word of God and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm only going to say exactly verbatim what Jesus said in red. That's what I decided I was going to do. I had so much trouble with people telling me, you know, judge not. And I went out there and I almost didn't make it through the weekend. I like to skull drug me down the road. It, it made it worse. It make it better. You're from beneath. I'm from above. You're your father, the devil. The deeds are your father, you will do. Try that on somebody. Read the Bible. See, it doesn't look that bad. You know, let me tell you something about religion. Religion reads the Bible and agrees with it. But when religion shows up, when Jesus shows up, the Bible shows up in flesh, they kill it. They hate it. You see, I told Becky one time, I told her, I said, you know, she was having trouble with her family, her family's church-going people. I said, Becky, if you were to write your testimony down, on my sheet of paper, and send it to them anonymously, anonymously in a letter, they'd read it and shout, Amen, Hallelujah, what a glorious testimony of a young girl got set free, was deceived by religion. Oh, how powerful. I said, but because it's you, and you, that testimony you put on flesh, and you walk in that house, they cannot stand it. They cannot stand it. And so it is, with religion in this hour, Amen, they read the Bible they say amen to it, but when it puts on flesh and it acts, they cannot tolerate it. They cannot stomach it. That's what stirs up that religious spirit is obedience to the truth. Because when you obey the truth, you manifest the truth. We talk about what is that manner? Is it some spooky, weird, you know, chill bumps rise up a boy, and suddenly the Spirit of the Lord moves upon me, and there's a rushing, mighty wind, and now Jesus is manifest. Let me tell you in simple terms Jesus is manifested when you obey and speak the Bible. It's that simple. It's not something mystical and strange. Obey the Bible with the right spirit. And speak the Word of God under the anointing. That is when Jesus is manifested. I can tell you right now, when that happens, you never had so much trouble in all your life as when you do that. When you just simply obey and speak the Word of God. Think for a moment. Why is the command to judge so vehemently attacked in our society? Obviously, it's because if we, the church stop judging, we will no longer be able to distinguish good from evil and finally, we will succumb to moral relativism, which is nothing more than every man doing what's right in his own eyes. And I will remind you this, friend. If you can say that TBN is the devil, then you can tell that sinner on the street that he's lost. If you can judge in this house, you can judge outside that door, friend. But if you can't judge, you can't judge anything. If you can judge, you can judge. Whatever is sin, that ain't Jesus. But if you can't judge, then don't you touch anything. Don't you? You don't know what I'm preaching. You just better swallow it and follow me just by blind faith. Because you're not supposed to judge me. Is that true? No, it's not true. You better judge everything I say by the Word of God. But if you can judge me, you can judge that out there. Amen? You can judge anywhere. Amen? According to the Word of God and only by the Word of God. Amen? Now, nothing could be more unbiblical, let alone absurd, than the idea that Christians are not supposed to judge righteous judgment. Amen? To call sin, sin. To declare God's judgment against all who refuse to repent. Amen? I've heard people say, they've said this against me for years, for 18, as long as I've been going on the street, I've heard this accusation from sinners and from saints alike, all you do is go out there and tell people they're going to hell. Well, you know, the first thing if you really think about that, there wouldn't be nothing wrong with me standing on the street corner and saying the whole world is going to hell. All of Woodville is going to say it over and over and over. And over and over, 12, 15, 16, 24 hours a day, there'd not be one thing wrong with that because it's the truth. And when you don't realize that, you've got problems, friend. That's the Bible. Would it be anything with me? Standing on the street corner and saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Something wrong with that? Well then it's what? Why? Well, because that's not offensive, and people won't be troubled with that. Well, there'll be trouble with it in Iran. Probably died for that in Iran So will you change your theology When you get to Iran No it's whether it's offensive Or not offensive It's the truth That's why it's not wrong. I'm not saying that's what the Holy Ghost would lead you to do. But it's not sin. And I'm not going to find fault with it. That's the first thing I say to people when they say that. Although that's not what I do. Many times at LSU we've had people come and say, You know, I was walking across here and you put your finger in my face and said I was going to hell. And I didn't even preach about hell that day. Didn't even hardly mention it. But I remember. You know, but what is it? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. By the preaching of the Word of God. Brought that truth. Thank God somebody on their way to hell hey, then that day the Holy Ghost told them so is that a bad thing? why does the church think that's bad? I wish I wish the Holy Ghost somehow had hey, been through somebody bold enough to preach the gospel to me would have told me I was going to hell when I was going to hell but nobody ever told me that would you got mad brother Britt probably but it would have been love that's the first thing that hit me when I became saved why didn't somebody Love me enough to offend me. Why didn't somebody love me enough to offend me? In addition, it's equally ridiculous that we cannot name sinners by the sins they're guilty of loving. If that's, you know, if that's important, then the Bible couldn't even name sinners what they are. Amen. And, and if you say we can't, then you say we can't quote the Bible. You say we can't use the word of God. Amen. To form and listen to me, language is God's a uh, gift to mankind. God gave men the ability to communicate through language. There's negative aspects of language and there are positive aspects of language. There are derogatory terms. In the English language, in every language, there are derogatory terms. Listen to me. If those derogatory terms are there and they're not there to denounce sin, then what are they there for? That's why God enabled us. Amen. In His providence, to use such terms. I'm not talking about cursing. I'm just talking about derogatory terms. He gave us those derogatory terms. And if those terms... If you're not to use those terms to denounce it, what is more? Uh, what is more damning? What is more dangerous? What is more vile? What is more wicked? What, what deserves to be railed upon more than sin? And yet people get offended. They use derogatory terms for Osama bin Laden. But they're not going to use derogatory Terms for the sin that they're in. Amen. If you hate sin, then that's what you use language for. You use those derogatory terms to denounce sin. Thus, tonight we're going to establish four things by the Word of God. Amen. Number one, we are commanded to judge. It's a command. It's not an option. It's a command. Number two, failure failure to judge is sinful. It can be sinful. That it's impossible not to judge. And finally, I'm just going to look at the name-calling briefly and touch upon that as we close. But first of all, we're commanded to judge. And we're going to begin here by considering the passage that's so often misquoted and misapplied in Matthew 7, 1 through 15. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I trust if you were to take the Word of God out and just read that in context with an open spirit, then you're going to see exactly what Jesus meant by this. But I'm just going to touch on some scriptures or some verses all the way down to verse 15. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou, the mote is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye. You know what it is to judges to say, "Let me take that, let me take that mold out of your eye." Is that wrong? Don't you think Jesus, if you have a mold in your eye, he wants you to get it. He wants somebody to get it out. But he said, "How are you going to do that unless you first take the bee that's out of your own eye?" And that's the admonition he's telling us. First, he said, "Thou hypocrite." That's who He's speaking to. People that refuse to deal with their own life, but they try to help somebody else. That's wrong. We agree with that. Jesus hates that. And that's also uh, the case in Romans chapter 2. Amen. Thou the judges to do us the same things. Amen. And also in James chapter 4. All speaking of hypocritical judgment. Let's establish this in the very beginning. Hypocritical judgment is forbidden by the Word of God. We all agree with that. That is what Jesus is forbidding. But He is not forbidding righteous judgment, which is to simply tell the truth. To tell the truth and to first make sure that I have been dealt with. How do you get the beam out of your own eye? Get born again. Get washed in the blood. That's how you deal with it. Get right with God. And when you get right with God and you get delivered, then you can deal with other people. Notice, if we read this in context, we see that Jesus is foremost warning us of hypocritical judgment. Not not to deal with others until we first deal with ourselves thou hypocrite first cast out the beam out of thine own eye and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye now jesus is he is likening judgment to saying let me get that mote out of your eye and then when we take that parallel and we're true to the interpretation, then he says, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast the mote out of thy eye. In other words, then you can do that. And in taking that mote out of your brother's eye's judgment, he's saying when you first judge yourself, then you can judge somebody else. This is a commandment to judge. This is a commandment to judge. It's just the way you ought to do it. This is not a forbidding to judge. This is a commandment to judge. It is a commandment to avoid hypocritical judgment. That you cannot judge hypocritically. And you're going to do nobody any good until you first deal with your own life. But once you take even that beam out of your own eye, then you are obligated to remove the mote out of your other brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto dogs, he says, neither cast your pearls before swine. Verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets. He goes on to say, You shall know them by their fruits. Secondly, we also see that in actuality, Jesus, rather than condemning us not to judge, is commanding us to judge. In the context, Jesus refers to his listeners as hypocrites and evil. That's coming from a man who supposedly just told us not to judge. Does Jesus obey his own word or not? He called him hypocrites, he called him evil. You say, Jesus can do that. Jesus can't be a hypocrite friend. Yeah, he can do it. He obeys his word. He is the word. You want to know the true meaning of this? Look what He did. And if He did it, can't mean you cannot judge somebody according to the Word of God, because He did it. In verse 13 and 14, we're also told to judge what is the straight way and the broad way and choose one over the other. How can we do that except we can judge? Because the Broadway represents theology, represents teaching, represents a way, represents discipleship. Amen. You've got to judge people. You've got to say, well, that's not representative of the narrow way on the Broadway. You've got to choose between one or the other. Jesus also commands us to withhold that which is holy from dogs and pearls from swine. Why don't you try calling somebody a dog and a hog and see how they take that? That's what Jesus did. That's what he did. How, how do you know who's a hog, who's a swine? How can I obey that unless I know who a swine is? How can I obey this unless I can judge who a dog is? And context, Matthew 7 commands us to beware of false prophets. Again, this necessitates that we judge who is and who is not a false prophet. We've got to judge who's preaching the truth, who isn't. It's sin not to preach the truth, friend. It's sin to preach heresy. People say, you're judging people. Yep. Man, I'm not ashamed of that. What the world intimidate you with that. do uh, religiously. Uh, I am judging. By the word of God, I'm judging righteous judgment. Furthermore, we're commanded to judge in the following passages. And this, again, is not exhaustive. Proverbs 31 and 9. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. Ezekiel 22 and 2. Now thou son of man, wilt thou judge? Wilt thou judge the bloody city? Yea, thou shalt show her all her abominations. How's he going to do that? Does he tell somebody about it? Ezekiel 22, or pardon me, 23 and 36, The Lord said moreover unto me, Son of man, wilt thou judge a whole eye and a whole of eye? Yea, declare unto them their abominations. Luke 12 57, yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? He's asking Why why you not judge Why ye not judge him? Well, it we can be a problem. You know, we can be sin. Jesus will reprove you sometimes for not judging. John seven twenty four, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. First Corinthians two, fifteen through sixteen, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judgeth no man, for who knoweth the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? The word of God. That's what it is. That's why we can judge. That's why we're equipped to judge. Because we're supposed to have cast ourselves upon the word of God and we trust it holy. And so when we trust it holy, we know good. when the Bible says a fornicator, he may still not inherit the kingdom of God, that it, it is not, it's not pride. It's humility for me to point to a fornicator and he says, I sleep with my girlfriend outside of wedlock. Then it's humility for me to say, the Bible says you will go to hell if you don't repent. It's pride not to do that. I believe the Bible. So I just quote the Bible. Amen. First Corinthians 6, 2-3 Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye not? Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things have pertained to this life? In many cases, failure to judge is not only unloving. Hear me? People will tell you you are unloving to judge when in fact... It is You know why? Because the tone of voice. Let me tell you how shallow and unspiritual a judgment that actually is. That is judging by appearance. You know, a lot of child molesters will speak very kindly to the little children before they molest them. A lot of rapists will seduce their victims by speaking very seductively and kind to them. Until they take them around the corner and abuse them. Tone of voice has nothing to do with love. Oh, you're screaming and hollering. You better be there. I'm screaming and hollering because I believe what I'm saying. Amen? I believe there's a hell and I'm acting like it. I said I believe there's a hell and I'm acting like there's a hell and if you could see hell and see sinners dangling over hell and you could know the character and nature of a holy God that's in opposition to that, the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men, then you might probably holler and scream too. Amen? I can tell you what, it's going to provoke great emotion. That has nothing to do with love. Just because I'm hollering and screaming. Just because I'm are you angry? I'm absolutely furious. Nothing wrong with I ought to be angry. If injustice and crime against God Almighty don't make you mad, then something's wrong with you. You don't have zeal for God. But I can be angry and sin not. I can be angry and sin not. I'm not saying that all anger, you know, the wrath of God, wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I understand that. But there is, I'm telling you, these things cannot be just across the board condemned. Do you understand? I'm not saying that everybody that calls somebody a name, everybody that judges someone, everybody that acts angry towards sin is right. I'm not saying that. Don't hear that. It could be sin. Just like anything could be sin. But you cannot condemn it by the Word of God. And that's the way you have to see this. Ezekiel 33 and 8. Would you please listen to this carefully? When I saith unto the wicked, this is God speaking, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die, and thou doest not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at hand. Could anything be more plain than that? I can close it up right now, We you go to the house. You've got to speak. You've got to warn. If men are not right with God, they're going to hell. If they bear fruit inconsistent with Christian behavior, they are going to hell. And it is our obligation to warn them. This attitude of don't judge is sending our society to hell. Amen? It is sending our society to hell. Jesus said we ought to judge righteous judgment. It's impossible to fulfill the Great Commission without telling the world what a holy God thinks about their unholy life. And you just look at what Jesus said. He's constantly preaching. I've talked about this before. You know, don't think that I haven't prayed about this. Don't think that I haven't read the Bible a time or two and searched the Scriptures. I've told you these statistics before. They're true. They ought to settle issues. Jesus, He mentioned the love of God only six times in the four Gospels. He preached on wrath, judgment, hell, and condemnation 160 times In the New Testament, besides the Gospels, public sermons by Paul, Peter, and Stephen. Not one mention of the love of God. Not one time. I want to do what the Bible says. Do you understand? I want to break the traditions that hold me bound. I want to know what the Bible says about it. Because anything that's not according to the Bible is the traditions and doctrines of men. And when you begin to labor and have a burden to do what God wants you to do, it's going to drive you to the Word of God. And when you go to the Word of God, then you will find out what they did and who they really were. And I tell you, when I tell you that Jesus, if He walked through the doors of most Pentecostal churches in America, they'd think He's the devil. I'm not exaggerating! They'd be telling Him how to evangelize. You go get yourself killed like that. That's what they think. They think it was wrong. Amen. Many cases, though it's failure not to judge, is unloving and sinful. It's impossible merely to read the Word of God publicly without applying God's judgment against sin. We as Christians cannot fulfill our call to love sinners apart from judging them. Hear me. That's an absolute because if you tell them the truth and you expose their condition. To, and you know the hypocrisy is. You go out here and talk to a sodomite. And you know, you got these certain people. I used to go on the street with people. they go out and talk to a sodomite. And oh, they'd hug him and pat him on the back and a little tear in their eye. Never say anything negative to him. Walk back in the church and say, that man's a sodomite. If he dies, he's going to hell. Why did you tell him that? It's hypocrisy. You think God wants you to know something and not tell the man? You think God wants you to come back in the four walls and talk about him? I know he's going to hell. He's a sodomite and not tell him? Hypocrisy. It's disgusting. It's sick. And it's not according to the Word of God. But that's all over America, that kind of spirit, the fake, the feigned love, the pats on the back, the smooching and the kissing and the hugging and all the talks about love. And no backbone to tell anybody anything. I can tell you what love, you can demonstrate your love by warning people of the truth and telling them about this Lord Jesus Christ. That is the truth. Love, that's what love is. Listen to me. Just what Brother Cuthinan said, and he talked about, you know, reproving his church. Nothing easy about this, but loving me. Love costs sacrifice. It's not going to cost you nothing to go out here and pat people on the back and tell them everything's all right. Jesus loves you. Amen. I'm not saying that that's always wrong. I'm just telling you that no one is going to be offended, but no one is going to be awakened either. If it's got enough power. To penetrate and stir. If it's got enough power to repel, it'll have enough power to attract. But if it has no repellent power, friend, it's got no attractive force. That's the truth. If your gospel doesn't make anybody mad, it's not going to save or awaken anybody. It's got to touch the heart. And when it touches the heart, it's going to awaken somebody. You've got to love people. And that is not easy. Failure to judge has given us a nation infested with promiscuity, militant sodomites marching in our streets, drugs, abortion, heresy, and untold vice. And yet on every corner, behind every pulpit, the cry is, Judge not! Judge not! We ought not judge! Listen to me, it's a perversion of Scripture. It's the voice of the devil! Just like when he spoke to Jesus, he used the Bible, but he perverted it. He perverted it. Now, the plain fact about all this is, is that we're not actually the one doing the judging, It's God that's doing the judging because we are applying His Word. We're just simply telling them what's going to happen. I use an analogy. I used to work in Formosa Plastics. I used to have a little bulletin board like that on the back row or on the back wall in every control room. And they'd have little notices posted, little memos, you know, that had come down from the owner or the plant manager. And Those were, of course, you know, the rules of the plant. Well, just suppose I'd come to work early one day and I saw there was a memo posted and the memo said all employees will be required to shave their head before next Monday or they will be immediately terminated. Well, that's kind of a strange request, isn't it? seems like that would be very, you know, unusual in this day and age. But, you know, that's what it says in the memo. That's the word of the owner. Got his, uh, you know, signature upon it. I go and ask my plant manager, is that the truth? That's the word of the owner of the plant. And so I step outside of the control room as all my other fellow employees are showing up for work. And I just simply tell them, you know, fellas, if you don't shave your head by next week, you're going to lose your job. And they all become angry. They all begin to tell me, you can't fire me. You can't tell me that. You're not the owner of this company. And I just stop them, you know, and hush everything down for a moment and say, gentlemen, I didn't say that I was the owner of the company. I'm just passing on to you what he had to say about it. He's got the authority The Word is posted on the memo board in there. And He's going to do exactly what He said He's going to do. That's all we're doing when we're preaching the Word of God. We are telling them the judgment that's already set in eternity. It's not going to change. God's not going to back down. He's not a man that He should lie. He's faithful what He said. That's what He's going to do. If He said the fornicator is going to hell, then I need to tell somebody that. And listen to me. We're going to touch on that in a moment. There are different scenarios and situations. We need to be led by the Holy Ghost. I'm not dismissing that. I don't want you to think that I'm not. I'm just saying these things can't be condemned because they're scriptural. God's already made the judgment. It is only our duty to communicate that to the world. We are messengers, amen? The question is not who are we to judge. The question is who are you not to tell the world God's judgment? That's what you ought to be asking yourself. Who am I to judge? Who are you not to tell? Who are you to withhold good from them that you have in the power to do good to? Who are you to withhold the love of God and the Word of God to people that need it? That's the way you ought to be thinking. Instead of who am I to judge? you have the judgments of God? Do you know the judgments of God? You ought to pass that on to other people. There's nothing loving about refusing to warm the wicked so as to avoid wounding feelings. In other words, selfishness. And that's what it is. And that is the fuel that burns most of that fire right there. The, I don't want to offend someone. I don't want to ruffle. I don't want to turn people off. How many times have I heard that? Talk to people about biblical evangelism. They've never done it ever in their life. They get fired up. They're all stirred up. You bring them on the street and after ten minutes their eyeballs look like saucers they're looking at the heathen response you're turning people off no they're already turned off it's just exposing what they are and they need to see it they've been awakened and that latent hostility is now shown and they're the ones that got to live with it don't ever remember feeling guilty when you was a sinner did you have a conscience they do too when they go out here, you know, just beside themselves, cursing, blaspheming God, doing all unspeakable things. they got to go home and face that. That's what you want. Then they face who they really are. That's the one. When You, you know the old Pentecostal saying, you throw a rock in the pack of dogs, the one that barks so loud is the one that that hit. It's conviction most of the time. And the Holy Ghost is stirring up. All that latent hostility that manifests. And now they have to go home. John Duncan, I hope he'll tell his testimony when he comes to the open air conference. He was a campus preacher for a Pentecostal Assembly of God church. The leader of a campus ministry. And he was on campus one day and a campus preacher came again to preach. And he opposed that campus ministry in the name of love. Well, he'll tell you he was living in all kind of sin. Living in all kind of secret sin that nobody else knew about but him and God. And he opposed that campus preacher, became very angry with him, and sided with the sinners. Oh, but as that minister preached, it pricked him in his heart. He left campus. Amen. And God, there's a wreck right in front of him. And he got out and was meditating, got so stirred up, went back to the campus. And when uh, he approached the, the campus preacher and accused him, the campus preacher said, because uh, he said, nobody lives free from sin. And he said, well, really, what sins do you commit? from everybody. They begin to go through different sins. He says, do you do this? Do you do that? He began to deny it. But he did do those things. And he went away very convicted because he, he just lied in front of everybody. It's what got him born again. He wasn't even right with God. And he was speaking in tongues. You know, from a very carnal observation. Somebody might have thought, you know, you're just stirring. You're just making him angry. You're not doing any good. Oh no, that's the very thing he needed for it to be manifest. For someone to push him in a corner and make him face reality. And that is what the Word of God will often do. Amen. Granted, in delivering judgment, discernment is in order. Who are we preaching to? I admit, presenting the gospel to a 10-year-old girl is a different situation than preaching to 50,000 militant homosexuals at a sodomite parade. Granted, there is a difference, and I recognize and understand that. Amen? Witnessing to a relative who you will interact with for years is not the same as confronting sinners at Illusions Club in a fleeting moment. Remember, at Illusions Club, we got five minutes. probably About five minutes average time... Less than that, probably two or three minutes, we have from the time they get out of the car to the time they get inside that they probably never see them again. You need to go ahead and just get to the bottom, you know, get down to the root here. And let's tell you that we don't have a lot of time. And the main thing to communicate is the raw facts. Well, I'm not going to deal with somebody that I'm going to see every day necessarily like that. I'm not saying I'm going to withhold anything from it, but I, as I'm led by the Spirit, I'm just saying I might have a little more you know, uh, walk with them a little while maybe talk, I don't preach to everybody exactly the same, but in that situation, listen to me, in that situation it is different. Don't you try to say we ought to preach to them out there like a ten year old girl or like your grandmother in the nursing home it's a different scenario, it calls for more radical means as I mentioned Sunday, it's also different preaching in a foreign country, unfamiliar with the gospel, than in gospel-saturated America. I was in Russia, 1994. I, I went up. Uh, they used to have these little shops on the street. Uh, they had capitalism had just taken root there, and the people would sell just trinkets, anything they could. You know, Pepsi just got there. They'd little have these little you know portable uh, places they set up on the street, just to sell anything. You know, and uh, they'd sell a lot of pornography there. And so I'd take my interpreter there, and I'd you know, just confront the people for selling pornography and call it wicked and, and preach to the people around. And I tell you, you know, you would preach should be 15, 20 people. You start preaching, there'd be a hundred all of a sudden around you. And you just walk around and start talking to people. I remember one night I was talking to a, a man there. He had only heard the name of Jesus a few times and I began to go through the law of God with him. And I got to the commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. And I said, have you ever dishonored your parents? And he began to weep and he said, that is a very pro statement he got convicted I thought in my mind this gospel works this law convicts it was different than talking to a man that had never heard the word of God before well I wouldn't you know do I wouldn't act in the same as I would over here at illusions club with him because it didn't require that but it requires it here it requires it here because we are a religious nation amen It's impossible to avoid judgment. Actually, everyone makes moral judgments. How can we define judging? Amen. In one sense, it's merely making a decision, discerning that one choice is superior to another. If you decide to drink milk and not radiator flush... That's judging. Amen? You're making a choice. That's good for me. And that over there is not. If you tell someone they're doing a good job, that's judging. If you decide not to believe a con man, that's judging. Judging is a necessary part of everyday life. Every day you make Judgments. Amen. Should it drink milk? Should it drink arsenic? Amen. You make all kinds of judgments like that. Probably on the hour you're making dozens of judgments. Amen. But spiritual judgment is even more specific. It is to, to define reality according to biblical revelation and to apply that revelation to those who come in contact. What it does, it forces us to establish moral absolutes. And is there something wrong with that? That sounds like Christianity to me. That sounds like what we ought to be doing. Amen. And like I said, you know, Sunday morning, people got no problem saying that's a fine Christian woman. Listen to me. That is a chance of saying that person there is a hypocrite. Because it takes as much much eternal wisdom to call somebody wrong or to call someone Christian as it takes to say someone's not a Christian. And if you can call someone a Christian, even I've been to funerals, I've been, you know, heard people preach people into heaven and say that person never showed any fruit of Christianity. Surely they died in their sins. And somebody would come very, that was a fine Christian one. Well, if judgment was the problem, you just judged it. The question is, who's judging according to God's mind? It's hypocrisy to cry, judge not, when we don't mind calling things of God. If we call things of God, we're making things. Do you believe this church is of God? Do you believe this preacher is of God? Do you believe the gospel on preaching is of God? Do you believe Brother Clendenin is of God? Do you believe Pensacola is not of God? Do you believe TBN is not of God? Even hey, those are judgments. And if you can do that, then you can judge anything by the word of God. Or Mormons, are they Christians or not? So if you talk to a Mormon and he says, you know, I don't have to believe that. I'm not born again. I believe Joseph Smith's God. If I die right now, I'm going to heaven. What do you think? What are you going to tell him? What are you going to tell them? He's going to hell. Right? That's a judgment. I tell all the time when people say, you're judging people. I say, well, you you talk to your mother, father, brother, sister, cousin, neighbor, and tell them they need to be born again. They say, I don't have to be born again. What kind of foolishness is that? I die. God's good. I'm going to heaven. I don't have to be born again. What do you say? You're going to have to say you're not going to heaven, friend. Jesus said, you've got to be born again. That's judgment. It's no different than telling a man if he's a fornicator, if he's a drunkard, if he's a liar, he's going to hell. It's no different. It's applying the Word of God. Hey Amen. You talk to a Muslim. Hey Amen. He tells you, oh, I'm, I'm, I believe I'm right with God. Allah. Allah is God. I mean, you've got to tell him he's wrong. But see, people don't mind the extreme, obvious things, although... Really, I'm talking about, I believe all, you know, you manifest something that's unChristlike. like It's just as extreme or just as obvious as being a Muslim. We all judge. That is an in- inescapable truth. The primary issue is not whether we judge or not, but is our judgment according to the mind of God or not. The real issue here is whether or not it's right or wrong to tell the truth and to be honest. I always hated that about it. Places. I remember when I was lost I went to a place And the preacher never did tell me the truth He was nice to me He hugged me I mean, he was really nice Really kind to me He was very tolerant I remember I went over to uh, a minister's house In that same church And I smoked a cigarette inside And I was with a girl that I fornicated with She attended the church we left and I said You know, you're pretty cool I'd have got very angry if they'd asked me to step outside or told me that my, you know, cigarette smoking was sin. I'd have got angry. But you see, I liked it when I was a sinner. I never got mad at them. I liked them a lot. I went to their office. They were ministering to a guy that lived with me that was demon-possessed. They never told me anything. I was very bold with them. I told them, I did drugs. Don't you tell me anything. I'm a Christian. Never did judge me. Never did tell me anything. I liked it until I got born again. And then I thought, why didn't they? The truth. Why did I sat right? Tongue-talking preachers—they never one time confronted me. Never one time. T- they were nice. I'm talking about hug me, just as nice, pat me on the back, and I loved it as long as I didn't know the truth. I loved it as long as I was deceived. Oh, would you like to be known? I, you're the preacher. You're the Christian that makes deceived sinners happy in their deception, friend. You think that's love? You're deceived. It's not love. It's not love. If someone is a sinner and headed for hell, is it the right thing to do to say so? Well, Jesus said, love your neighbors yourself. Let's read that in context out of Leviticus 19, 15 through 17. He was quoting the law. He said, you shall, d- shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Now, Jesus quoted this when he, when he established the second commandment of love. Thou shall not respect the persons of the poor, nor honor the persons of the mighty, but in righteousness... Shall thou judge thy neighbor? Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among the people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. And I believe the very next verse says, You love your neighbor as yourself. That's in the very context of the love commandment. You are to rebuke. You are to correct. You are to righteously judge. And the last thing here tonight, just take a moment to touch on name calling. What about name calling? And really, I could spend a whole other service on this. Because it's so... And when I begin to look at this, I just... I'm telling you, I'm scratching the surface. I'm scratching the surface. I only took a portion, a small portion of what's in the New Testament. Amen. the following. Just a short, incomplete list of some of the names that people are called in the New Testament. Amen. We limit ourselves just to the New Testament. And again, this is very, very incomplete because really when you start looking for names and you start reading through the epistles, I mean, it's all over the place. that they're referring to people with derogatory terms. I mean, I'd, take, I'd have to sit down and really just spend a day or so looking through the Bible to find every derogatory term that's applied to a sinner without, you know, just unbelieving. We don't want to family the unchurched. The unchurched, the unchurched—that's even become uh, offensive. They got a new term now. I forget what they called it: the, the uh, irreligious or the. Uh, but the unchurched—that was popular not long ago. The unchurched, not—that's not, that's not in the Bible. Amen. Dogs, Matthew seven and six, Second Peter two twenty, Revelation twenty two. Swine, Matthew seven and six. Vipers, Matthew 3 and 7, Matthew 12, 34, 23, 33, Luke 3 and 7. Hypocrites, too, too numerous to even mention all over the Gospels. Jesus used it a lot. Try calling someone a hypocrite. They really don't like that. And I've done it before. Amen. Children of the devil, amen. Several places in the Bible. Perverse, they're calling people perverts. Jesus called them perverse. Matthew 17 and 17, O faithless and perverse generation. That's another term for pervert. Luke 9:41, Acts 20 and 30, Philippians 2 and 15, 1 Timothy 6 and 5. Reprobate, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 through 7. Amen, Romans 1 and 28, 2, 2 Timothy 3 and 8, Titus 1 and 16, heathen, Matthew 6 and 7, and myrads and myrads of other scriptures. Fools, Matthew 23 and 17, amen, Luke 12 and 20, First Corinthians 15 and 36, Matthew 23 and 19. In fact, you know, we touched on this the other night, and I'm not uh, promoting that we ought to call someone a fool, but Jesus called people fools. So if you really want to know the truth, if you look at that scripture up and really look through it, it's talking about something more. Because in our English vernacular, I tell you what, fool is not that really that offensive anymore. It was a very, the, the original Greek, it was a very, what it was, was like calling someone a reprobate. A beyond salvation, an apostate from Judaism. And if you call the, the law, according to the Sanhedrin, remember he said, if you call someone raka, then you take it before the Sanhedrin, before the council. You call someone a fool. And it, it's talking about being angry with your brother without a cause. Vindictive. A wrong spirit. But if you accuse someone to be apostate beyond salvation, you better be able to prove what you say. Or you might suffer the same judgment. That's really what that's about. But nevertheless, because it uses it directly, then we better not call someone directly a fool. But Paul called people fools. Ye suffer fools gladly. Amen. Ye suffer fools gladly. It's all over the Bible. Amen. Wicked and adulterous. All over the New Testament. Oh, ye of little faith. That's one of the Jesus' favorite name for his apostles? That's pretty. Oh, yeah, I welcome you here this morning, O ye of little faith. Won't you lift your hands unto the Lord, O ye of little faith? That could be pretty offensive, couldn't it? Stiff necked and uncircumcised, liars, evil beasts, Slow bellies Adulterers and adulteresses Whores and whoremongers whited and Brute beasts God haters And the list goes on and on and on and on I mean there are a lot of other derogatory terms That I didn't have time to write down But you know this is the thing People don't believe that, And Jesus is used in many of these terms <clears throat> Name calling obviously then is an activity in the life of the New Testament Not only by Jesus It was used many times by Jesus he used names, but also the apostles as well. And, you know, again, it's those people that are the biggest promoters of love that are usually void of any it. How many times, you know, I've heard people say, well, that's, you know, wrong to you do that. And, and then, you know, the next week I'm going to take in somebody off the street. And they say, well, you know, you need to be very careful. That person is dangerous. And what have you you love? I remember I took somebody, you know, took an inmate in out of the prison, took him in my home. All the same people that would, oh, they would just, their head would explode if they saw us at Illusions Club. They wouldn't think that was love. And the same people said, oh, you need to be careful. I wouldn't take that man in my home. What, what, what's going to happen? Just fearful. What happened to your love? It's all fake. It's fake. It doesn't have any substance. It's on Sunday morning. It's, it's worked up. It's just calculated. It's something people do. They just say, I've got to be kind. So they put a plastic smile on their face. And a man, I'm not saying everybody is like that. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying many times, the same kind of people that seem the most kind, the most loving, amen, they, will re- they will denounce and they will reprove you for acts of love. And the same people that condemn warning sinners are the same people that usually don't want to sacrifice for them when it's time to bring them. The people that beat me at Illusions Club, I'd take them into my house today. I'd feed them off my table. I'd give them the clothes on my back. I'd do anything for them for them to follow Jesus. Anything. Anything to see them follow the Lord Jesus Christ. There was nothing I would withhold from them. But that doesn't mean I have to go around and speak, you know, in soothing tones to them. That has nothing to do with love. It's action. It's what, what in my heart, am I, what is my posture towards those individuals? In Matthew 23 alone, one 10-minute sermon at the most. How long does it take you to read Matthew 23? Amen. Just read through it sometimes. It doesn't take 10 minutes. But let's just say it was a 10-minute sermon. In that chapter alone, one sermon, Jesus referred to the Pharisees as hypocrites seven times. Furthermore, he called them 12 other derogatory, separate, 12 separate derogatory names ranging from blind guys to serpents. Just go call somebody a snake and see how that goes over. Just go call somebody a viper and see if they say, you know, I think you're about the best Christian person I ever met. Just see how that goes over. And finally, he told them, you're going to hell. You're all hell. Now, where I'm going, you're not going to go. Twofold, the child of hell. That's what you make your conference. Remember when I met Elemas, the sorcerer, withstood the gospel, what did the Apostle Paul say? He said, Elemas, you know, can I give you a track about Jesus? Can I give you a track and pray for you? I I love you, Elemas. And Jesus died for you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Is that what he did? No, full of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. He put his eyes on him and said, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness. Did he say, now the Bible says, did he quote some Bible to him? Oh, he did quote the Bible to him. Did he quote chapter and verse? Now the Bible says, no, no, he didn't say that. He just began to rebuke him. He put his eyes on him, full of the Holy Ghost. And he said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, will thou now cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a midst and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. I wonder if Elam thought that Paul was, he wasn't a little bit mean. Or that he was loving Gracious and merciful, he was loving and gracious and merciful because he was he was walking according. To the Word of God. Do you know how many times, Amen? You have accounts of people with withstanding the gospel. Do you know how many times you have accounts of that in the in the Word of God? When you do have accounts of people withstanding and dabbling and opposing God, like Ananias or they drop dead. Terrible things happen to them. God has some very severe things to say to them. Amen. You see, in America, that is the that's pretty much the totality of the spirit. I'm not saying people can't get saved. We got saved. If we got saved, anybody can get saved and I'm not trying to say that but we're dealing for the the most part with a religious culture remember our job is to communicate and to do this in the most clear and specific manner possible true, we're not to unrighteously offend, just to offend somebody for the sake of offending just to take a cheap shot on somebody without a cause Amen. but I want you to know that that is difficult for you to discern I want you to hear what I'm telling you I told you before I've trained people in the street For years and years You've got to give people room To make mistakes And if they're real Christians I promise you When they get along The Holy Ghost will tell them You shouldn't have said that But I can tell you this I would rather be with all of you In front of illusions clubs Making mistakes every night If that's what we had to make Then go home and do nothing You hear me? I would rather be with you out there, if we've got to make mistakes every night and the Holy Ghost has to correct us, I would rather be there with you trying to warn somebody about Jesus, amen, than sitting at home popping popcorn and trying to, you know, condemn and criticize everybody that does try to do something for Jesus. I can tell you, God's more pleased with someone that's trying to do the truth than someone that doesn't care. And that's what that is. People that won't even lift a finger. You know, most people that reprove me for street preaching and open-air ministry and methodology don't go themselves. It doesn't mean that I can't hear them. I could hear them if they have Bible in ver- chapter and verse. But they usually don't have chapter and verse because they can't hear go into all the world and preach the gospel. If they can't hear that, how do you suppose they're going to hear the rest of it? How to do it? God will never put a sword in a man's hand until he goes out to battle. You're not going to understand it until you do it. And as you do it, then he'll teach you in the way. We're charged with stating the truth as clearly as possible, with the objective of helping the person or persons ministered to, and that is the truth. We are there to number one proclaim the truth for the glory of God. We are to be zealous for God. Amen. We are we are you know, there's more to going into Illusions Club or LSU or wherever we go. There's more to that than simply preaching the gospel. There's a public testimony. We are saying that God is opposed to this sin, to the community. They know we're out there. They pass by, they see us. They know there's somewhere that someone there denouncing this is sinful. That is, that is a purpose. There's a purpose in that. And you don't know how much of a testimony... You know, if you just have a limited... What's happening out here and what people are saying and what... But that that is such a limited, shallow understanding of what is actually taking place. We are obeying God. How many times have I heard testimonies of people that I didn't ever talk to. They were way in the shadows somewhere. They're the person that really got convicted. And a lot of times they were convicted because they saw the people that they were partying with act like total fools got convicted because they saw their friends act like they've never seen them act before when they're confronted with the gospel. And a lot of other different things would take place. Amen. You don't lose sight of that. Judging. Name calling. It's part of this gospel plan. It's part of the Word of God. Amen. doesn't mean that I'm saying, now let's go out and just call everybody a name. I'm not saying that. Does everybody understand that? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying everywhere you go, just tell people they're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying it's part of the gospel. And you nor me can condemn somebody simply on that ground. We have to believe that that is necessary to preach the gospel. All of us need to see to be more broken. All of us could be more anointed. Much more. That we will never be able to... You know, the moment I get up there and say, Well, you know, I think I'm I'm anointed. That's the the day you need to vacate this church. I'm never going to be able to say that. Neither are you. That doesn't have anything to do with, though, with moral failing. Amen. I can be more. I, I told somebody the other day, I, I, I wish and I pray that I could weep. The whole time I'm preaching the gospel to sinners, the hardest things that I'm saying, I could weep. But I'm not going to stop telling the truth. We could all be more anointed. We could all be more loving. We could all be more burdened. But we're never going to be able to avoid judging. We're going to have to call sin. That's right for me. Amen. Let's stand here tonight. Hope this helps you. We're just going to go down the line and preach the things that I, like I said, sometimes, you know, i have just assumed people know. i just assume people know. I've never taught on this year, I don't believe. Or if I did, I taught, taught on it years and years ago. So A lot of times people come in and you just kind of assume they fall in and recognize what's going on and why why you do this and what have you, and they don't. So we're going to deal with a lot of these issues. Some of you heard this before. Others have not. And we're going to believe God just to set us in order and just believe that we'll come under the truth. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands. Just love Him here tonight. Thank you, Father. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your spirit. And, Father, we, we ask you, Lord, we want to be of a right spirit. Lord, we want to be Christ-like, Father. We don't want to misrepresent You, Lord God. And we ask You, as we go forth to preach the Gospel on the street, we know, Lord, there's a lack in our lives that we need to be more anointed. We need to be more broken. We need to have a greater burden for souls, Father God.